You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 20. Today we are in Moss. Where are we, Daniel? We are at the finish, Richard, of this very, very exciting penultimate stage of the Vuelta a España, high up uh, in the hills above Vigo. It promised a lot this stage, didn't it? We've been sort of anticipating it for the last three weeks, um, and it's provided a lot of excitement. Ineos Grenadier is a team today that were prepared to risk everything, I guess. I mean, not that they had a lot, but they were prepared to, to gamble and throw the dice today, weren't they? And they've really ripped the... the the race apart not entirely to their benefit but Egan Bernal sort of self-immolated in a way didn't he he dropped himself yeah um, but the beneficiary might well be his teammate uh, Adam Yates who will certainly move up general, on general classification may even depending on what happens on these last two climbs take himself to within within uh, touching distance of Jack Haig ahead of tomorrow's time trial to explain, there's 24 kilometres left to race. We've driven up the final climb, which is a real kind of monster of a climb. It reminds me a bit of the, the climb at the finish of stage one of the Tour de France this year, but much harder. I mean, very steep ramps at the bottom. It's a bit of a roller coaster, isn't it? There are dips and but then it climbs short. up again. Short, but, but quite tough. But it's been that sort of day. I mean, we've been racing down the, well, started on the, on the Galician coast north of here, raced inland and, and heading back out here. It's a spectacularly beautiful stage, and I think a lot of credit to, to the Vuelta organisers. It, it might not have delivered the excitement that we've had, but it's helped create the conditions for cracking racing today. Yeah, Hazrich, and we mentioned Oscar Pereiro last night. He was born in the town at the bottom of this final climb, and it was he who effectively designed the stage, uh, I understand. And yeah, it's thrown up a really fascinating tactical scenario here because we've got well Jack Haig really is the only guy in the front group uh, maybe a slight sort of disclaimer caveat to that maybe Yates now also has reason to to work and start helping with the Bahrain guys but Roglic is there no no need for him to work Mass is there same again because he's got Superman Lopez behind I thought that this would become a, an individual time trial for Jack Haig because Gino Maida absolutely buried himself pulling out a big gap to Superman Lopez um, on on the behalf of his teammate Jack Haig but now I think the race is going to start splitting again certainly on this final climb I think these guys are going to come in in ones and twos yeah I mean to explain what happened we saw Ineos Grenadiers Tom Pidcock did an awful lot for them as they began to hit the climbs in the second half of the stage and about 70 kilometers ago he was done Pavel Sivakov took over and uh, and then Adam Yates launched a pretty ferocious attack Bernal initially was distant, so was Gino Mader actually. Um, Mader fought back, Bernal fought back, and then he had a he kind of countered, but he couldn't follow the moves that followed that. And Bahrain, almost by accident, found themselves in a very advantageous position, with Mader having made it into the, the split, along with Jack Haig, obviously, Adam Yates is there, Enric Mass is there, and Primoz Roglic is there. And they've been cutting a swathe through the earlier breakaways and catching up with groups and at the moment we've got Ryan Gibbons from UAE Team Emirates out front on his own quite surprised he's a sprinter really but he's doing a very strong ride today behind we've got a chasing group with Michael Storer and Roman Bardet still there but 
the group with the GC favourites is, is coming up pretty fast and Superman Lopez has fallen out. I mean, he was left to chase on his own, really, wasn't he? This is where the, the lack of teammates really comes into play. Movistar have lost a lot of riders through crashes and injury. And, you know, someone like Carlos Verona, had he been there, would have been of invaluable assistance to him. Edric Mass and Adam Yates are having a free ride. So is Primoz Roglic. And I've just been swooning at these gorgeous, towering eucalyptus trees all day. Maybe Superman, Superman Lopez, maybe that's what he was doing. He was distracted. He was just admiring the stature and the majesty of the eucalyptus trees. I'm not sure. Well, but we'll see if he says that in this post well, interview. Let's wait to see what happens. 22 kilometres to go. While we do, before we go to the tail of the Atapa, should we hear some I think we've been having the tail. We're, we're missing Lionel Day. Lionel's at the Tour of Britain. Oh, okay. So this is a, instead of the tail oh, of the Atapa. We're living it as, it as it goes. Shambolic live tail of the Atapa. And while we wait to find out what is going to happen. Should we hear some beautiful traditional Galician folk music played by what appeared to be the Galician answer to the Sugar Babes or Little Little Mix. Not very traditional, um, but they were playing. They, they four um, prom- promising young artists were were paraded in front of the, well, by the finish line uh, half an hour ago, and they, they treated us a cracking show. Here's a bit of what they what they performed. <laughs> Well, the Spanish sugar babes there, beautiful. Very much so, Rich, but um, someone who isn't all sweetness and light at the moment is Superman. Because, well, a few minutes ago, we haven't seen any of this, as I don't think anyone at home watching on TV has seen it, but we heard that Superman Lopez, aggrieved at Movistar's tactics, or aggrieved that he'd missed the crucial split, had been trying to stop the race. I mean, shades of Ivan Mayo all those years ago in the Tour de France, where he got off his bike, didn't want to carry on. That's what we heard was the case with Superman. Um, the Movistar press chief is, is just waiting behind the line for his riders to come in. A few of the Spanish radio guys went over there, tried to find out what, what had happened. And we understand a few minutes later that Superman indeed has climbed off his bike and abandoned La Vuelta. Extraordinary development. Um, he was third overall at the start of today. Pachi Vila, the sports director, apparently trying to persuade him to carry on. He, I don't know what his grievances because he was he was dropped. It wasn't a, a tactical move. Enric Mas went with the, the leaders as he had to do. He's second overall. Would, would it have been legitimate for Superman to, to want to think that Mas could have just stuck with him for you know it, it was it was a matter of seconds, meters, fifty meters or so that I think prevented the, those two groups from coming back together. It was really it was a, a it was fine margins at that point in the race. But as soon as the the, the gap did start opening up, then there was, well, after 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds, there was no way back, was there? No, and it would have been the same as Adam Yates dropping back to help Bernal. I mean, I just don't really see that that would have been feasible. And it would have been daft. I mean, they could have ended up losing everything, you know, starting the day with two riders on the podium, ending it with none. As it is, Mass is uh, cementing his second overall, which will be a very good result for him and for the team. The mystery of Lopez, well, we'll have to try and uh, solve that up after the stage we will rich and what we can already say already know is that the the old meme uh, superman lopez what he said about movistar a couple of years ago in the world that siempre los mismos los mismos tontos that always the same idiots um, that was of course it was dusted off and and brought out when he signed for movistar 
and he, he's had a pretty good season with them, or there have been flashes anyway, but that will no doubt make a reappearance today. And there, ha there have been flashes, but his career with Movistar got off to a very rocky start when he arrived with having contracted COVID sometime between being tested for it in Colombia and flying over. And, uh, meant that he and several teammates had to quarantine. That wasn't a great start, but he has made up for that this year, especially with the stage win the other day. Who's going to win the stage, Daniel? I think Adam Yates is my favourite at the moment because I'm not sure. I think Rog is too diplomatic at the moment to roglify everyone, although he, he is, would be capable of doing just that. That was the noise as a surprise winner came across the line. Six seconds ahead of Primoz Roglic, Adam Yates and Enric Maas with Jack Haig six seconds further back. We'll come to the winner in a moment or two, but here it comes, the tale of the etapa. We've already um, heard a little, bit, a little bit about today's stage as it unfolded, but it was a tough one. 4,300 metres and seven. Starting in the seaside resort of San Chencho. According to Velavio, which is a resource that... The teams all pretty much use the roadbook said something very different. It said three and a half thousand meters, which yeah, incorrect. There were four categorized climbs, uh, and we finished up at the Alto Castro de Ervilla, where we were a bit earlier on, Daniel. But that four categorized climbs doesn't do justice to today's stage. It was up and down all day long. The toughest stage of the race, according to one rider, who we'll hear from in a moment or two. Sixteen riders went clear. And they included three DSM riders clearly out for the stage and three AG2R riders, which was notable and would become perhaps important later on. They raced a 12-minute lead. And when I met you at the summit, Daniel, you told me the ship had sailed, the brake had gone, and there was there would be no bringing them back. But Ineos Grenadiers, well, they, they made the difference today. They forced uh, the pace, first with Salvatore Puccio, then with Tom Pidcock and finally with Pavel Sivakov before Adam Yates launched some attacks. In the end, that forced a decisive split in that group of favourites with Lopez and Bernal on the wrong end of it. Yates, Mass, Roglic, Haig and Mader were the riders racing clear and almost immediately eating into the lead of the breakaway, which came tumbling down. Up front, Ryan Gibbons of UAT Emirates went clear with 50 kilometres to go. A surprising move, um, but was he a foil for Matteo Trenton? Um, who knows, but he held on for an awful long time, as we heard earlier. Padun, meanwhile, Mark Padun, who'd been in that breakaway, dropped back to help Mader and Haig. And then we heard these bizarre reports that Miguel Angel Lopez had stopped and was refusing to carry on. We'll cover that in the first part of tonight's podcast, um, which we'll hear next. Into the final kilom five kilometres of the stage, and with the Roglic group having caught and passed all but one member of the break, Gibbons, he just dangled out front, and they were messing about a bit behind. Yates was a, a frequent attacker, but whenever he was brought back, and Haig in particular dragged himself back, there was then a, a lull, and Gibbons' uh, move was kind of going in and out. And it, there were moments where we wondered whether he might hang on. But in one of the, the lulls after Gibbons was caught, uh, a rider who'd been in the breakaway originally, Clément Champoussin, appeared from nowhere. He attacked hard with a kilometre and a half to go, just at the right spot. I mean, it was just after a very steep ramp, and as the riders hit a, a small descent, he went clear and got a big lead. Um, it was his first professional win up at the summit there, uh, after a couple of top tens at the Vuelta, 
Um, and it was a win that caught everyone by surprise, even one of the other riders in the breakaway, Matteo Trentin. Well, Amrich, before that, before we hear just how surprised Matteo Trentin was, you mentioned that he thought, or a rider thought, it was the hardest stage of La Vuelta here. He, he, he explains why. When you, when you see that the you do all this altitude meter without even hitting a, actually a proper climb, because the longest was 10k, but it was 5k hard and 5k easy. So it was the whole day up and down, left and right, super technical parkour and really hard to control. And at the end, it was a carnage. Actually, who won? Uh, who? Clément Champoussin. Ah, ah, still from my group. Yeah. Oh. So Clément Champoussin, the winner up at the uh, the the summit and uh, winner of the final road stage of the Vuelta, uh, an extraordinary end to a very dramatic day, which saw well no change to the the lead of the race. Primoz Roglic very secure, two thirty ahead of Enric Mas, but Jack Haig up one position to third on GC. Adam Yates up two positions to fourth. He's a minute behind Jack Haig, so Haig has got to be the favourite to hold on to the podium spot in tomorrow's time trial. Gino Mader up three places to fifth, and he also takes over the white jersey from Egan Bernal. Michael Storer secure in the King of the Mountains jersey ahead of his teammate Roman Bardet. And yeah, Mader ahead of Bernal. Um, Fabi Jakobsen also in the green jersey, safely home with some De Kunic quick step teammates, so he will be the winner of the green jersey. You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling, not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thanks very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens. Now, we've been hearing throughout the Vuelta from Asker Jukendrup, Head of Sports Nutrition at Jumbo Visma. Here he is again, uh, talking about fueling during races. If, if we go back to professional cycling, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the average intake was somewhere between 20 and 30 grams of carbohydrate per hour. Uh, now we see like a lot of uh, riders take in 90, maybe even 100 grams of carbohydrate per hour, sometimes even uh, even, even more. With certain types of carbohydrate, you can supply the body with more carbohydrate, and that has effects on energy delivery. It also improves fluid delivery, but if you use the right combination, it minimizes uh, stomach discomfort, uh, and then ultimately, it improves performance. That's, of course, the, uh, the the key factor. It's still that the calories in and the calories out is still extremely important, I think. But now we've learned that uh, within that, within that calorie budget, it actually uh, matters quite a lot what you eat. And not just what you eat, also when you eat it. That's where sports nutrition has developed the last few years. It's a very interesting subject. This I was speaking to, to Joe Dombrowski about it this morning. The 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 emphasis on on fueling, uh, the increased emphasis on fueling, and the emphasis on increased fueling. He was saying that we heard Asker Jukendrup there to say that riders are now um, trying to consume 100 grams of carbohydrate per hour. Joe said in in some stages of wealth it's been up to 130 grams, and it, it can be quite a challenge to get that much in 
especially when it's hard, which is when you need the, the fueling the most. So it's an interesting topic. Thanks once again to Super Sapiens. If you want to find out more about Super Sapiens, go to supersapiens.com. And from Super Sapiens to Superman. Ah, no, 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 no sabía nada. La historia no es que nada. es que al parecer ha tenido un mal momento psicológico, pero parece que ha reprendido la marcha por, por, por haber perdido tanto tiempo. Ahora que es oficial que ya está fuera López de la carrera, ¿qué opinión te merece como compañero de equipo que lo haya dejado en este punto? A mí Miguel Ángel me parece un super compañero, me lo ha demostrado día a día desde que está aquí en el equipo. No sé lo que habrá pasado hoy. Who did we hear from there, Daniel? Well, Rich, we heard from two Movistar riders, Enric Mas and uh, Jose Joaquín Rojas, who were really none the wiser, or at least appeared to be claimed to be none the wiser, as to what had happened to Superman López. There was a, a lot of confusion at the finish line while it was all playing out. Um, was he was he in the team car? Was he back on his bike? Was he not? You heard Mas there saying, well, he didn't know. He had no idea what happened to Superman. And... Um, in fact, he was asking the the radio reporters, you know, what they knew, whether they could explain had he crashed. Um, they said no. He seemed like he had some kind of psychological crisis out on the road. And uh, Rojas there was defending his teammate. He wasn't really taking the bait. Of course, we remember Rojas when Superman joined the team. I think he was one of the riders who expressed reservations because of this incident a couple of years ago in the Vuelta, where Superman was very critical, called them tontos, stupid, um, for the way they'd ridden. So there was. You know, there were misgivings about him joining the team, and obviously today will have compounded those. But Rojas, at least, he played the kind of the PR game pretty faithfully at the finish line today. He said, well, he's been a great teammate up until now. So, you know, I don't know what happened to him. And, you know, a couple of hours on, a couple of hours after the finish, we still don't know too much about what happened. A video has surfaced of Superman climbing into, we think, a soigneur's car. We don't know exactly where that was, and I think the footage was taken by a fan on his mobile phone. But, yeah, leaving the race, leaving La Vuelta. There's a parallel with, well, <laughs> very different circumstances, a very different outcome, but he had, he had trouble... He had um, some issues, did, didn't he, on uh, the last mountain stage of a Grand Tour a couple of years ago, the Giro d'Italia, when he was still sort of in the mix for the podium there. He had the white jersey and he got into a tangle and a bit of a fight with a, a fan, didn't he? And there was, you know, there were calls for him to be thrown out of the race. Well, yeah, then. there was also a lot of sympathy for him then. Um, I think Movistar's reservations were clear in the fact that he was initially given just a one-year contract. And irony of ironies, on the eve of the Vuelta, they announced with sort of great fanfare that he'd signed a new two-year contract for 2022 and 2023 because he, he's been a pretty good signing for them this year and getting better as the year has gone on. And, and the Vuelta here was set to... Well, he's, he's won the big mountain stage and he was set to finish in some style. So it's a catastrophic turn of events today really well rich and this morning as i said well, he was looking very good to finish on the podium here in fact we hear from pachi villa the team director this morning who it sounded as though w was expecting a difficult day but a day that would ultimately see the team confirm um, or consolidate enric mass and Superman's positions on the podium. That's that's going to be really hard. I mean, if things go on the on the normal direction and, and Primo shows how he's riding, uh, as he was riding until till today, 
I think, I mean, uh, something really, really bad has to happen to him. And, and then, yeah, perhaps there's something. I mean, you need to accept things how they are, you know, and try to attack a guy that showed you that uh, he has been better in time trials, normally better in climbing. He has a stronger team. It's not too much we can do. With five riders and three of them, two leaders and three domestics that they are not super climbers. That was Pachi Vila before the stage, Rich. There were reports unconfirmed that while this was all playing out on the stage, Superman wanted to get off his bike. He was shouting at Pachi Vila. Pachi Vila was trying to coax him back onto his bike. There were discussions, I think, with Imanol Erviti, who was one of the Movistar riders who didn't want to speak, didn't come over to the mix zone um, after the stage. But the, the incident, well, the moment itself, the key moment of the race was when um, Mass and Yates and Maida and Haig and Roglic detached themselves from the other GC riders, wasn't it? And we, we've watched this back a couple of times. To me, it, well, it was a counter-attack because there was a prior move with Bernal and Haig and Superman followed that. Mm. And it looked as though they were the riders. To me, it looked as though... You know, he had a couple of riders that he'd been designated to follow under any circumstances. And, and maybe Mass had a different list of names that he was always going to go with. You know, according to well, a, a sort of logic dictated by who was wearing the general classification. And, and then when Superman had gone over to that move, it almost looked as though he sort of sat up content, you know, satisfied that he'd done his job. Then the next move went with Yates. Mass, as probably was Movistar's plan, went with that move. The difference being that that move didn't sit up. They pressed on. It's really hard to tell because you don't know the state of fatigue at the time. And although it looks as if, it looks almost a soft move. Because it wasn't on a steep part of, but of a climb, was it? No, it wasn't. But soft move or not, as soon as the gap's there, it becomes, it's very hard to, to close it. And, you know, Bahrain, to their credit, because I said earlier on that they, they found themselves in this position almost by accident today. And we'll hear from Gino Mader in a bit about, you know, how definitely it wasn't, uh, uh, there was no plan for what happened today from their point of view. But they took advantage of the situation very quickly and very, very well. I, I, you, you don't know, we'll also hear Gino Mader say that the, the time to attack in a, in a race is when you least feel like attacking. And it looked like they'd been knocking lumps out of each other up that climb. Adam Yates had been making it very hard indeed. Bernard had a few, you know, sticky moments. Gino Mader also... And it, it could have been just a moment in the race where everyone was on their last legs and it was just, it was this, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, you know. Um, the move went away, Superman was on the front and did appear to let the gap go. But as soon as the gap went, that was it, game over. And, I mean, your theory is interesting. Uh, it's tempting to speculate that, um, you know, Mass was tasked with following any move that Haig uh, made and... Uh, and Superman was tasked maybe with, with ma following any move that, that Bernal made. That could have made sense because they were the threats to the podium or the, the closest threats to the podium. I guess Superman maybe also wouldn't have known that Mass wasn't working initially. Uh, well, the only person was working who was working was Gino Maida for a long time, for 20, 30 kilometres. Again, uh, it's, it's speculation. Um, this is maybe going against the grain to say it, but... At the time when Superman supposedly got off his bike or didn't want to continue, um, anything that he could salvage, he personally could salvage from this Vuelta Espana had gone. Um, he had already won the Queen stage. Movistar will have a rider on the podium in Enric Mas, so you could argue that it doesn't really make too much difference, even vis-a-vis -vis his teammates who, you know, the... the 
The immediate and obvious reaction after the finish was to go to his teammates, people like Rojas and Erviti, and say, "You've worked for three. You've busted your gut for three weeks for this guy, and this is this is how he repays you." But um, you know, as I say, the podium was well gone at that point, and there was nothing he couldn't. Superman couldn't contribute any more to Massey's effort, and he's certainly not going to contribute anything to Movistar's sort of final, final kind of analysis, final haul from this welter tomorrow however under normal circumstances any other rider pretty much in any other, any other circumstance would have would have ridden in and i mean there are riders who just cannot reconcile themselves to not pursuing their individual goals you know there we don't we don't know the full circumstances but michael landa's actions the other day were comparable perhaps where he climbed off mid-stage having attacked you know if you attack you you feel okay and, and and the impression you're left with is that if he couldn't fulfill his individual goals then then there was nothing in it for him and that's the impression you left with uh, with Lopez today as well if he couldn't fulfill his individual goals then he wasn't interested and that is incompatible with being a, a team player what happens now he's just signed that new two-year contract it's, I mean it's going to be difficult isn't it I mean awkward conversations and how if if the reports are true of the shouting match between Pachi Vila and Miguel Angel Lopez are true, we we know that Vila's become a really important person, perhaps the key person in the in the management team on the sports side, and that relationship would have to be repaired. And it's not not easy if if you've had that kind of um, that that sort of breakdown in relations in such a kind of a cauldron as there was today. I feel terrible because I made a very flippant comment earlier about him admiring the eucalyptus trees. And, and, you know, I feel doubly terrible because I've been reading about the eucalyptus trees in Galicia, which are beautiful, but they become a contentious issue because they've been... They've been blamed for a lot of the forest fires in this in this region. <laughs> they've been they're being farmed extensively, planted extensively, and um, yeah, they've been. Well, I hope Superman and Pachi Villa didn't ignite one today. Well, there you go, there you go. Sparks were flying. It was in a sort of you could, that that footage of him similar to the Valverde footage. Well, the footage of him getting into the Movistar car. It was in a sort of you know a kind of glade, a kind of clearing in a eucalyptus forest, wasn't it? Let's move on to the stage, Daniel. We'll get to uh, the winner, Champoussant, a bit a bit later on. But the the big winners today, Bahrain victorious. You know, I mean, we've been talking about them going for the teams classification, uh, which they they will win. They'll also win the young rider classification. And at the moment, they look like they're going to put a rider on the podium in Jack Haig. Um, but I can't help but thinking that they got they they took advantage of the situation extremely well today. But they got they got a bit lucky. I mean, Ineos Grenadiers were the team that blew up the race. Had they not done that, that break would have stayed away. Yes, that's absolutely true, Rich. And, and the key, as we so often say about bike racing, was the lack of hesitation from Bahrain victorious and you know the ability to seize that opportunity as it presented itself in the... Well, it was Gino Maida that, that um, I'm sure under instructions from his team car, he got on the front immediately. And as I, as I said earlier, he, he pulled and pulled and pulled to the extent that, I, I mean, I, I was sure, in fact, I put this to Jack Haig later, we'll, we'll hear from him about this. I was sure that he was jeopardising his own race and he's had a fantastic race and he's in the top 10 on general classification. And even at that point was starting to move into contention for the white jersey none of us had really considered this before the stage today that he might take the white jersey off Egan Bernal but 
with every kilometre he pulled, you know, my doubts were growing that he, he couldn't sustain it and there were still two climbs to go at that point. And I thought he would blow up and I didn't think that Mark Padron would have too much left either. He'd been in the break all day and was coming back, has not had a particularly sparkling welt, I don't think. But they took Jack Haig a long way, didn't they? Um, without any help because every, everyone else in that group had people behind or had reasons not to pull, even including Adam Yates. There was probably a moment where Adam Yates realised that Bernal wasn't coming back and could start to think about the stage and could start to think about general classification. But it was all Bahrain, wasn't it? Yeah, it would have been an interesting scenario had Gino Mader not been there. I, I, what would have happened then? Would Jack Haig have been, because there's still a long way to go, would he have been instructed to get on the front and ride? I guess he probably would, but he'd have been on his own and, and would have risked uh, losing everything in the end. Um, I was just speaking to our, our colleague Hugo Korovitz there, who, who was saying Ineos Grenadiers um, messed up because they've, they've ended up empty-handed. But they did make this commitment at the, over the winter that they were going to race in an exciting way and take risks. And, and they did that today. And I think you know someone like Egan Bernal can sort of afford to do that because he has won the Giro, he's won the Tour de France, and a, a white jersey at the Vuelta wouldn't add an awful lot of... Um, of gold dust to his palmares. Well, should we hear from Egan Bernal, Rich, both on his, his own race and that of his countryman, Superman? Because, of course, he had a front row seat for whatever it was that was going on. I don't think the, the TV director really covered himself in glory, him or herself in glory today, because there we was didn't a lot. See anything. No, there was a lot of the race that we missed. There were narrow roads. It was probably difficult for the motorbikes to move around. But yeah, that was slightly unfortunate. But here is Bernal speaking tonight after the finish. It was a mix of feelings because, you know, we did the race hard. Also, I wanted to, to be at the front because I was feeling good. But, you know, the, the group split and I was behind with him. You know, he's from Colombia. He's a friend and just looking at him to, to losing the, the podium is, is not nice. But at the same time, I, I had uh, Adam at the front, so it was a, a good situation. It was a, a mix of feelings, but uh, finally, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sad for, for him too. We try to do our best, do a big explosion in the, in the race. That way we could uh, like move our cards uh, with Adam. Uh, we did it. I think uh, the team did an amazing job and that happened. Adam went to the front with a small group and I was behind. I think uh, for us it's okay. I'm feeling good because I, I think I did my best. I mean, I'm really happy for Gino Mader. I think he's a great rider and he really deserves uh, the, the jersey. Also for me, but uh, for him too, it's, it's, a, it's a great uh, achievement, you say. Uh, so I'm, I will be really happy to, to see him in the podium tomorrow. Uh, I'm really happy for him. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to Science & Sport, our long-time sponsor. And if you would like 25% off 
all your science and sport products, go to scienceandsport.com and at the checkout, enter the code SISCP25. SISCP25. Uh, just before we go on, I have to mention that uh, the second batch of Stacy Snyder's mugs, cups, cappuccino sets, um, gelato bowls went on sale today. They all sold out, as they always do, raising lots of money for Phoenix bikes. Thanks very much to everybody who bought themselves some of these beautiful items. We heard from Egan Bernal just before the break. We're going to hear from Jack Haig and Gino Mader in a moment. But just just before we do, just on Bernal, I wonder, is this his destiny, Daniel? He's, he is, you know, he, he's, he's won a Tour de France. He's won a Giro. But I've always had my doubts about whether he's going to be a serial Grand Tour winner. This kind of chimes with Francois Tomaso's theory that uh, that the, the, the serial Grand Tour winners are, are essentially time trialists who can climb. And Bernal is a climber, um, and they do not tend to be serial Grand Tour winners. And quite often, in the case of like Quintana, uh, for example, you know, Quintana came along for his second at the Tour, won the Giro very young, and then kind of struggled to fulfill what we thought was his potential or to sustain that standard. And I just wonder about Bernal. There is a physical frailty there. I mean, I, I put this question to Adi Engels this morning. Who would win if fully fit and in top form? Pogacar, Roglic and Bernal. And a few people, when I put this on Twitter, took issue with including Bernal in that company. Pogacar and Roglic are a bit more robust. Um, and Bernal, there's just, a, there's just a question there about whether he is going to be that sort of rider. Um, or somebody who... Burns very bright, but perhaps not all the time. Yeah, well, I think we'll hear in tomorrow's podcast, Rich, a little bit more about his preparation for this Vuelta a España and the, how close he came to not even riding the Vuelta a España and you know the after effects of the COVID that he suffered from post-Giro d'Italia victory. It's difficult to judge, isn't it? And I I always say that as far as, you know, future prospects are concerned, likelihood of winning Grand Tours, it, it, it all depends on the competition. And the emergence of two phenoms um, at any given time can reduce a rider or change a rider's status from that of dominant figure in the world, in the world of Grand Tours, in the panorama of Grand Tours, to perennial disappointment. Just, you know, a Tade Pogacar appearing or a Primoz Roglic appearing, that can alter the destiny of a rider in that way. And, and that may be the case with Bernal. But, you know, should Pogacar suddenly begin a downward trajectory for whatever reason, we hope it doesn't happen. But then everything changes. Well, let's go to uh, a team and riders who are anything but disappointed at the finish. Uh, it was a fantastic day for both Gino Mader and Jack Haig. Uh, Mader set to finish the Grand Tour in a, a jersey, one of the major jerseys, a white, the white jersey of best young rider. And for once uh, in, in recent memory, the rider winning the, the best young rider jersey, is a, it, it seems like a fitting prize for him. I should also just say, Rich, that this morning the talk was all about how much time Jack Haig could get back from Superman in the time trial tomorrow. I, I asked Jack Haig this morning how much do, work he'd done this year on time trialing. He said he'd not been in the wind tunnel. And on Superman's time trialing, he said, well, sometimes he's, he's been great. And sometimes, well, Jack Haig's exact words were, he's pulled out the odd shocker. Uh, terrible time trials. So he was thinking very much in those terms. Didn't envisage being able to take any time, I don't think, on Superman today, but well, it turned out very differently, didn't it? Shall we hear first from Gino Mader and then from Jack Haig? 
Oh man, yeah, uh, it's unbelievable. Like, um, obviously, we had a plan for today. That was not our plan, <laughs> but it worked well, I'd say. Put Jack on the podium as we wanted. Um, I think we still have the lead in the team classification. I think now it's official that I'm in white. I'd say a uh, pretty successful day. Yeah, so walk me through it, like that moment when Yates attacked. It was unbelievable because in the, in the beginning of the day it was so slow and I, I was uh, multiple times at the car and saying, ah, I don't think it's worth attacking with a speed like this. Once Ineos came and they really, really put on a high pace with uh, Buccio, Pitcock, uh, Denzivakov. And it was just like survival of the fittest, like after 20 days of racing, it was really just uh, who can suffer the most. And uh, well, once Yates attacked, first attack, I was dropped and I was just staying in my rhythm as, as good as possible. And uh, then I had a quick change of words with Jack, asking him whether I shall attack or not. Um, because normally when you're fully on the limit, that's the moment when, yeah, when you don't want anybody to attack, it's when you have to attack. Yates did it again. Uh, Lopez was dropped and for the, from there on it was all or nothing for Jack. And I didn't have my, my own race in mind. For me, it was really just get Jack to the finish line as fast and as far away from Lopez as possible. And yeah, luckily we had Padun because he did a monster turn. He was really monstering it. Oh, unbelievable, like really, really awesome teamwork. Yeah, sadly we lost Landa. It was really not an easy race for him. Uh, but I think uh, with the way we raced, we, we did him proud. And yeah, I'm looking forward to, to race again with Jack. Uh, maybe as a domestic, maybe as a co-leader, we will see. I kept saying maybe this whole week that we were just looking for opportunities and waiting for the right moment. Yeah, every day I kind of just chipped away and rode my own tempo on all the stages knowing that I'd have a little bit left as soon as there was that opportunity arose and today it came up, it was perfect. The group that I got in had Adam and Enric, so then Bernal and technically Lopez weren't going to chase behind and to have Gino there with me and then uh, Mark come back from the break. It all worked out perfectly. It was mainly Adam, to be honest, it was putting me under pressure there. On all those little steep kicks, that's obviously what he's good at, those punches there. And I just had to limit the losses and then come back over the top. And uh, I think I lost just a handful of seconds there at the finish, so it's a nice outcome. We were watching Gino bury himself there and we thought, is he going to sacrifice his GC? And he could maybe have got the white jersey as well. Were you also sort of telling him not to go all in um, and to keep something back? Yeah, we had information from the car knowing that the time gap was sort of blowing out there a little bit to the group behind and uh, tried to ride somewhat conservatively knowing that, yeah, he still has his own ambitions but obviously to finish third is also really nice so I think we tried to find the right balance there and I think we did. Well, that was Mader and Haig, uh, Gina Mader talking to Kate Wagner there at the finish and uh, Mader and Haig, it does sound like a, a shop of some kind or a, a, a a folk group or something um, but they've combined extremely well today and throughout this uh, Vuelta uh, what about the stage winner Daniel Clément Champoussin first professional win yes very reminiscent Rich of and, and I think it was the same stage well same number stage stage 20 of a rider what was then uh, a very promising rider for the same team Pierre Latour 
winning the final stage on the uh, Aitana in 2016, if I'm not mistaken, a very similar age, a very opportunistic win, but well, as was the case with Latour, a very highly touted rider, Jean Poussin, he's 23 years of age and has caught a lot of people's eye, well, has been catching a lot of people's eye for a long time. He was a mountain biker, he was the t 2016 French junior champion in mountain bike and he only started, I think he rode a road bike for the first time um, around about that two and a half weeks ago no 2016 when he broke his wrist in a crash bought himself a road bike and very quickly decided that he preferred road biking to to mountain biking and has been on an upward curve ever since and he certainly believed to be one of the most promising french climbers of the coming generation i say climber um i think he sees himself as someone who goes well on very undulating courses exactly so like today's. he's sort of an identicate um ag2 rider cosnefois yeah. paris pants they're they're all kind of similar and they're, they're having a bit of a purple patch ag2 i mean uh cosnefois won the britannia classic ahead of alaphilippe last week with a fantastic performance um battling aggressive i mean it was uh you know he there there were a few riders coming back to that group um of favorites and and, and having a go and, and disappearing again when he went he went at exactly the right moment and really gave everything to the effort and uh it was almost roglified in the end. It was six seconds on the line, but I, I felt it could have been him, or it could have been uh, Mikel Biscara, Biscara, yeah, who, was who, Escotel rider, who was you know, that was a desperate last lunge to try to get Spain his first Grand Tour. He stage had a couple win. of goals, and if he just had one, maybe it would have, it would have, yeah. you know. I think um, uh, Champasson went at exactly the right moment, whether by accident or design. It was we'd driven up it and. It was a roller coaster of a of a finish, and he went at just the right moment, and uh, it was a fantastically well taken victory. But yeah, no Spanish stage win at the Vuelta or in any of the Grand Tours this year. This is the first time this has ever happened. No Spanish stage wins in any of the Grand Tours. There was a year in 1996. It's the only year in the history of the Vuelta when no Spaniard won a Vuelta stage. But that year, Angel Edo did win a stage of the Giro d'Italia. So this will be a pretty... Any decent Spanish time trialist, Daniel? I put this question this morning to David de la Cruz. And he sort of... He bought a little bit at my suggestion that today was the last chance maybe... Um, maybe hinting that a Spaniard could go well tomorrow, that he himself could have a chance tomorrow over 33 kilometres to Santiago de Compostela, but I think that's quite optimistic. I think there's one clear favourite for tomorrow's stage, isn't there? I think the final stage might get roglified. <laughs> it might be a roglification to finish off this well. It's funny, isn't it? We've had some really entertaining stages without any real intrigue around the, the red jersey at all. Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll talk about this tomorrow. This has been by far... Primoz Roglic's most accomplished from end to end Grand Tour performance mm. at an age when you might normally expect him to have tipped over the plateau as far yeah, as... Yeah, but he's only about 25 in Rog years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in it, both the team, Roglic himself, I mean, I... I had a bit of a flashback today to, well, a year ago, well, it wasn't a year ago, it was last year's Welter and how he really kind of um, crept over the line just by the skin of his teeth was able to win yeah, last he, year's Welter. This has been the strongest finish, hasn't it, to a Grand Tour? Uh, I, I think my, my rog years quip deserved a little bit more Sorry. of a laugh there, Sorry, Daniel, I think you were slightly distracted, yeah. Can we finish on a slightly different note? Sure. 
we had some excellent wine last night. Didn't oh, we, we did. We, we did. did last. We had a lot um, too much in, of it actually. We're in. Yeah, well, some of us did. Some of us were fine this morning. Absolutely fine. Went out for our run as usual. Mm-hmm. But we we are in white wine um, country, Albariño, the Riach Bashash. It's best known this region for that wine. But last time we had an excellent red. It's very conf- it gets very confusing around here, Rich, because last night we had a Ribeiro. Um, which is a little kind of uh, wine-producing region near here in Galicia. There's also Ribera Sacra, which is very close here. Again, red wine, well-known for its red wine. And there's also, quite away from here, not in this part of Spain, Ribera del Duero. So very confusing, but it was we had the Bodegas Arman um, Ribero, and it was outstanding, wasn't it? It really was very nice, Daniel. And... We'll be off now, to, I'm sh- I hope, to taste a little bit more of the local produce. Excellent, looking forward to that. Um, uh, yeah, we should, I mean, just in summary, we started this uh, tonight's episode while the, the stage was unfolding. But what a, what a stage that was. I, I think yesterday's stage was great. It really was entertaining and exciting. Today's was a, a humdinger. It was, there was so much going on. And uh, so many great performances we've barely mentioned. Ryan Gibbons, you know, I want to oh, find him tomorrow and speak about speak to him about that because I didn't see that coming. Um, it was it was incredible. There was a lovely photographs at the end of Gino Mader uh, with his arm around him at the finish. They're apparently very good friends from their Dimension Data days. Um, so he was sort of consoling him because even after he was caught, Gibbons, he kept having another go. Uh, it was a, a gutsy, strong performance from him that hints at him, you know, being a factor in all kinds of races and stages. Um, so much went on today, uh, overshadowed a little bit by the, the Superman drama, um, which we'll uh, follow up on tomorrow as well. I'm sure more will emerge overnight. How many different Superman films were there? Oh, four. I can think of four. I think you maybe, think there might be another one. Superman time five. To revive How many that Superman? Franchise? Yeah, definitely. Well, that's all for tonight. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Rich. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 